Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. Brett, how are you doing this morning, brother? I am I am good. I am in between Zoom calls, as uh, it seems like I always am. Yeah, the, you're, you're a busy man, and now that it's football season, it seems like uh, you've gotten even busier. Which well, is, is, that a, let's, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, to be clear. I mean, I'm busy, which means football is happening. So thank God for that. Um, but let's be real. Isn't everyone just kind of living life in between Zoom calls at, at this point? <laughs> yeah, that's a, actually a really good point. Um, even people that had no idea how to work technology very well. I feel like everybody's pretty experienced now in the Zoom call meeting style you know, we're still doing Skype. We're still living, you know, back in the early 2010s, but that's okay. <laughs> we got to cling on to the glory days, man. How, however, we can. Hey, uh, we're we're old. We're getting older now, so we gotta just hang on to the things that probably don't make as much sense anymore, but we do it anyways because that's what we're familiar with. You're still young, man. You ain't got kids. You're you you aren't married. You uh you got all the freedom in the world. Take take advantage of that best you can. Um. <laughs> so last time we we podcasted, we did a little bit of we did mostly recruiting. We got a little bit into some star and money position battles with Malachi Moore and Brian Branch and Ronald Williams Jr. And we'll probably touch a little bit more on that in this episode of, of the Bama Beat podcast. But we're going to get into some things happening with with camp and, and how Alabama's progressing. Uh, we're recording this on. September 3rd, a Thursday. So we are now what 23 days away, 22 days away from from kickoff against Yeah. 2023, uh, 20, yeah. Don't don't make me do math on the fly. That's that's bad for for everyone. That's it's dangerous. That's how people get killed. Um so <laughs> I wanted to run something by you. Uh it, it came to mind when Pete Golding was doing his annual preseason press conference a couple weeks ago and it kind of popped up again as kind of a, a side thought for what we were talking about on the last podcast with Malachi Moore and Brian Branch being two freshmen in the secondary that could have roles on the team assuming they're able to, to win their competitions for the star and money positions with Jalen Armour Davis and um, Ronald Williams Jr. and DeMarco Hellams. Something that Pete Golding spoke about a lot was trying to use guys situationally, like finding things that they can do and making sure that they are in that situation as opposed to trying to keep them on the field in other situations and hope that they perform well enough in those less than perfect circumstances to get to something they're, they're good at and and use their, their skill sets. And, I'm a little skeptical that that is possible in today's offensive environment where almost everybody goes some form of up-tempo. Defensive substitution isn't something you can really count on these days, right? So I'm a little skeptical of this ideology of having an army of defensive specialists that you can use in certain packages. Now, the the obvious, uh, the, obviously, the easiest way to create that for yourself is negative plays and, and tackles for loss. As a general rule, most teams don't go up tempo after a negative play. And if you kind of 
pick it apart, it, it just makes sense. When an offensive coordinator calls a first and 10 play, for instance, and they're thinking ahead, they're probably thinking ahead to either the next first and 10 play or maybe a second and medium or second and short play. If they were thinking about a second and 13 play, they, would, they wouldn't have called that first down play. They wouldn't call a first and 10 play assuming that it's going to lose three yards and they're going to be in in second and, and 13. So when you have a negative play on offense, it kind of re it kind of resets your your calculus it forces your your play caller to kind of reset themselves and go about things a different way which is why offenses tend to slow down in those situations so if, if Alabama is creating a bunch of negative plays then they're going to have more opportunities to substitute so that that would be the best ideal scenario right Alabama's defense creates a bunch of negative plays which leads to them being one of the better defenses in the country and then they're allowed to substitute more because of those negative plays, which, again, gives them a better chance at being one of the better defenses in the country. I, I'm just skeptical that you can count on that because even if your defense is awesome, right? Like, let's let's quickly look up who led the nation last year in tackles for a loss. It was Ohio State with 124. They led the nation with 124 tackles for loss last year. Now let's see how many plays they defended defensively. This is math on the fly. Again, this is this is dangerous, but we're we're doing it anyway. So they defended 488 runs and through the air, Ohio State defended if I could do this quickly. 393 passes. So 488 runs plus ah, 488 runs plus 393 passes. Ohio State defended nearly 900 plays last year, and they only got a tackle for loss on fewer than 200 of them. So it's hard to depend on tackles for loss to control offensive tempo and thus get your your substitutions in, right? And that's the best defense in the nation in terms of um, tackles for loss or, or negative plays generated. I don't know. I, I might be rambling a little bit here. I'm just, I'm skeptical that you can depend on creating negative plays to control the tempo of the opposing offense and thus get your your substitution. And I don't, I don't think we live in a college football world where you can depend on defensive substitutions and and specialty packages anymore. That's actually really interesting. Um, And the reason that it's interesting is it kind of makes sense a little bit why the playing field to some degree has leveled out for Alabama compared to other teams. And what I mean by that is, you know, in the past they were there – other programs could find enough elite recruits to field starting offenses and defenses that were as good as Alabama's in, in a lot of situations where Alabama had the advantage was their depth and their rotation where they were able to keep their defensive line fresh. They were able to keep, you know, their, their, their outside linebackers had them on rotation and they still got impactful plays from guys who were considered depth players. <clears throat> but now that you were living in a world where yes, it is way more difficult to to substitute than it was, you know, five, six, seven years ago. 
that's going to obviously, you know, kind of minimize a little bit that advantage that was once, you know, Alabama had. Now, I do think that they're going to try to take advantage of that in situations where it allows. And here's the thing, you know, if, if you got like an early down run defender um, and, and you're sitting there and you've given up, you know, little success on the first two downs, more than likely, you know, if, if they got two yards, they, the offense runs the ball on the first and second down, they've picked up two yards and now it's third and six. They're not going up tempo on a third and six more than likely because it's a third and essentially long situation. Alabama can bring in pass rushing specialists or, or, you know, uh, bring in certain guys for obvious passing situations, even though that's not super obvious, you know, more times than not third and six, a team's going to throw the football. So in those instances, you don't think they're going to be able to go, hurry up but if they let's say that they pick up zero yards or one yard on first down and then they're able to pop for seven or eight and it's now third and one or third and two and they go hurry up well more than likely they're running the football because it's third and short uh and and you have your run defenders in there so it's not that huge you know big big of a deal that's just one specific situation and that could apply to a lot of different but what i'm saying is is uh, trying to figure out exactly and we'll just have to kind of see how it plays out what i do know is compared to last year Alabama didn't have uh, they were looking to play guys in certain situations you know that the, there was freshmen on the defensive line who were ready to contribute but they were ready to contribute in certain areas and when you had the injuries and, and the same thing at inside linebacker a guy, a guy like Christian Harris was going to see the field because there were certain things that he was doing really well in camp and he had proven that he was capable of handling certain things but then you have injuries to Joshua McMillan and Dylan Moses now he's forced into an every down role and now from an outside perspective if you're a fan watching the game he looks pretty poor uh, especially early on in the season well that's because you know you'd have seen seen him performing a lot better had he been in situations that he was he was already good at you know he had to become a more complete player way before he was ready it was the same way with the defensive line and with the depth that they added through you know true freshman getting plenty of playing time last year along the defensive front now at inside linebacker you can now rest assured that um anybody that's going to play is they going to be better equipped to handle certain situations, but they can get back to that where they play guys in situations that allow they can play guys. They can put players in the best position to succeed and not force them. You know, if Christian Barmore is still not ready to be an every down defender, you can keep him in the same role that he played last year as a rotational pass rushing interior threat. Um, and does that mean that he, you know, you're not going to ever ask him to, to try to stop the run? No, there's going to be tons of situations where he's going to have to. But I guess what I understand what you're saying. That's what makes this question so difficult to answer because that makes perfect sense. But I think in Pete Golding's mind, you know, he knows that he's going to have certain guys that are maybe uh, like a Will Anderson. If I, you know, I've been able to get my own eyes on him yet, so he might have significantly improved as far as being a run defender and he could be an every down guy for you but based off of what i saw on a lot of his high school tape he's going to be a guy who i think is going to be most impactful in obvious passing situations is he going to be in there for what should be an obvious passing situation and he's you know having to play the run absolutely that's going to definitely happen but what i think they're trying to achieve is putting guys in a position to where you know a majority of the time the way that what's going to be called plays to their strengths. Do you get what I'm saying? Because I'm having a hard it, – it's so hard to explain. In my head, it makes perfect sense. But it, I guess the point being, with you, your point's fantastic. And I'm trying to work my way around this and think, you know, if, if 
if what you certainly can't do is have the defense that you had last year that was giving up big plays or plays to where teams were able to run a lot of up-tempo offense. Then you can't rotate guys, and I think that's something Alabama ran into last year is they had a bunch of young guys that weren't ready for the reps, and they were having to get more and more reps than they even wanted them to because they were, you know, teams were able to go hurry up more often. So I think you just created the million-dollar question for Alabama's defense this year. Well, actually, if I were on the opposite side, if I were game planning to go up against Alabama's defense, I would probably – try to operate my offense a little bit quicker than it normally operates because number one I think would it would it be wrong to suggest that depth is probably one of the top three strengths of Alabama's defense this year if not the number one a hundred percent absolutely okay. at least at most at most spots okay so so we, we can agree that depth is a serious strength of, of Alabama's defense this year or at least it should be uh, when you include the the new additions, adding on to a pretty healthy um, dose of, of returners, a, a great way to neutralize that depth is to run up tempo, right, and and force them to defend a lot of plays and and limit their ability to substitute. Thus, you're putting a a high number of of plays on a small number of of defenders. That's that's one way that going tempo would would be a good way to attack Alabama's defense. Secondly you're you're not allowing them to get those specialists on the field. So they, they clearly like what Drew and what Drew Sanders and Will Anderson can those are two really difficult names to say back to back, by the way. Drew Sanders and Will Anderson. <laughs> that, that that really the the Ander in, in between the two, the the common syllable they have kind of almost threw me off there. The, the coaching staff clearly likes them as pass rush specialists. Well, if you're running so fast or, or you're operating your offense so fast that you don't grant Alabama the opportunity to get those guys on the field and they're forced to pa- rush the passer on third down with less than their best in terms of their pass rushers on the field, that could impact the game and, and maybe lead to an extra third down conversion or two during a, a game. And the same can be said at other positions. Like maybe, maybe. The, the dip, they clearly like a, a bunch of guys at, at star and and money that and they clearly think highly enough of Ronald Williams Jr. to bring him to campus out of junior college. Um, Saban has been complimentary of both Malachi Moore and Brian Branch as as freshmen. Jalen Armour Davis and, and Marcus Banks both saw the field in in limited capacities last year. So there's six, five or six, five guys for two spots that they clearly like. And it's possible if you're going to apply Pete Golding's rationale of rotating guys into advantageous positions for them, if you're going to take that from a front perspective and apply that to the secondary, you could see the the same thing there. You're, you're kind of holding Alabama to players that aren't necessarily trained for the job that they're on the field to do. When when you operate at a high tempo and kind of take away the specialty packages and the substitutions therein, I don't know. It's just something I've been rattling around in my head over the, the last couple of days. And I'm not outright saying it because again, Alabama could be one of the, the top five defenses in generating negative plays and the whole tempo thing is kind of taken away from opposing offenses for for the most part but I also would not be surprised if 
opposing offense is operating at a high tempo kind of neutralized some strengths of Alabama's defense this year. Yeah, and like I said, that's that's really interesting. Now, the guys who they're going to have on the field this year, because they have depth, they can find the guys who can do you know everything to some degree. I feel like a guy like LeBron Ray – who can he can be a, a pretty impactful interior pass rusher, but he can also stop the run pretty well too. Or you know, I, I think that he's going to it. We still haven't seen him in a full time role, and so we'll have to kind of play the wait and see game. But point being, it, when you find yourself in those situations where you're not able to substitute, which is definitely going to happen, then you have guys out there who you can trust to do a little bit of everything, and that's kind of why they're your starters. Um, now, granted, that kind of and we'll get to, I guess, talking about Ben Davis here in just a second. But for me, and, and he was, he, he, he improved a little bit as a pass rusher last year, and you saw it develop. And if he continues on that positive progression, it's very possible that he could be a much better pass rusher. But from what I've kind of envisioned for him, if he's starting, more than likely they probably don't want him on the field and, and pass rush obvious pass rushing situations or that would be less than ideal for them they'd rather have you know someone else that's much better at it like a will anderson maybe um but having it set up this way it i think what pete golding was getting at because there's always been situations uh, even before this year where teams have started to figure out we have to go up tempo to neutralize Alabama's advantage every time they step on the field, which is they're going to be deeper than anybody that they face off against. Even the elite of the elite programs, um, from a depth perspective, Alabama, because they had seven straight number one recruiting classes and they've been in the top five every year, there's not many programs you're going to be able to get up and out there that's going to be deeper than Alabama. You might be able to be pretty much as deep, but point being, that's been something that I think people have been trying with Alabama and what Pete Golding is essentially saying, they'll continue to deal with those problems, but in those situations where they're able, able to make substitutions and do those things, because you're putting yourself at a disadvantage if you have a certain personnel offensively on the field and, and, and it's third and six and you decide to go up tempo instead of changing to, you know, putting more receivers on the field or you, you know that you're probably going to throw the football. It's kind of like, um, you know, your shot percentage in basketball, you know, take high percentage shots. Uh, you're putting yourself automatically at a disadvantage if you leave that personnel out there. And if you make the personnel change, the defense has enough time to be able to to counteract that. Even though you've, you're helping them out, you're also not wanting to put yourself at a disadvantage as well. But that is a great question. And it's something that I, – I, it's always something that you've kind of thought to monitor to some degree was, was substitutions and how Alabama handles it. Um, and what you saw last year was – just a mixed bag as far as they didn't have, they were sending out guys for, for certain situations, sometimes due to fatigue, um, sometimes, you know, for other reasons, but that they, you could just tell they should not be in, in this particular situation. And I think that problem has been fixed. And that was a huge problem, a much bigger problem than people realize. Uh, even de- during his uh, initial press conference, his first one from last year, Pete Golding talked about, uh, and that was before the injuries to a lot of these guys, but was, getting these players on the field in situations that they were comfortable with and they felt good about the depth and then it starts getting hit, you know, with inside linebackers going down and defensive linemen. And so um, being able to get that back automatically is going to help Alabama. It just might not help, I guess, what you're saying, to the same degree that maybe Pete Golding might have been alluding to in his press conference. Well, you you made a good point that, that Alabama's more likely to have 
guys that can handle a bunch of tasks at, at once on, on the field than they did last year. Like LeBron Ray, assuming he's able to play the entire season, he's able to do a bunch of things. You would hope that you get some development from Byron Young, Justin Aboigby, uh, Christian Barmore. You would hope that they can be more diverse defensive linemen. You could probably – uh, assume that Dylan Moses being on the field for for every snap is going to give you some of that as well, and maybe Joshua McMillan um, gets some significant reps at will, um, and and he can provide some of that too. So it's it's entirely possible that Alabama's personnel this year is more tooled to handle a wide variety of tasks than last year's personnel. Thus, you aren't as dependent on that specialty package and those specialty personnel guys as um, as you could be. Uh, but it's still uh, something to, to monitor. Speaking of things that can handle a, a wide variety of tasks, Wickles Pickles. They can give you pickles, okras, relishes, a sandwich spread, and much more. Go to WicklesPickles.com to learn all about their uh, their wide variety of products. Family recipe that's 90 years in the making right here in the state of Alabama, WicklesPickles.com. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. Super proud of that uh, segue, by the way. Professional podcaster, Brett Hudson. Yeah, th- I, I, I must be honest, that was pretty flawless, and yeah. I'm proud of you. So uh, another topic of conversation, is this whole Ben Davis thing actually going to happen now? Like we've been, we've literally been waiting four years for – for Ben Davis to, to do the Ben Davis thing. And he's very, he's very well thought of by the coaching staff, or at least uh, their public comments. They've been very complimentary of him. I mean, he seems poised to be a starting outside linebacker for Alabama when they start the year in Columbia. Like, is, is this Ben Davis thing actually going to happen now? <laughs> Yet again, that's another great question. But what I play, right? I'll I'll say this. Um, this is by far the most he's been talked about as far as the coaching staff and and things like that. In the past, during this time of year, the only people who's really been talking about Ben Davis, or at least to any, um, you know, large amount, it was fans and people that were just curious. Hey, is this going to be the year? And what you, the only time that you would ever get responses about Ben Davis or, 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 you know, any sort of thing coming from a coach would be in a response to a question that they were asked about him. Um, but now you have multiple people bringing him up. And we, one thing we always knew about Ben Davis, he was a five-star prospect for a reason. The guy's big, he's strong, he's fast, he can run, it was a matter of of becoming confident what he's been asked to do, and people also don't realize, you know, inside linebacker and outside linebacker are two very different positions, way different what you're being asked to do in a three four defense, especially because one of them is essentially a defensive end or stand up defensive end in a lot of ways, and the other is an off ball linebacker, you know, having to 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 scrape and fill gaps and do all these other things, and Ben Davis kind of bounced around between the two at different points in his career. And he was not one of those players. You know, Rashawn Evans showed that he was able to do that. Um, uh, a guy like Dylan Moses was showed that he was capable of doing that. Dante Hightower. They've had plenty of players who could play the inside out um, both effectively. Well, it's hard to do. First it, of all. It, 
Yeah, and I think that's why people struggle to understand just how difficult it is because Alabama's had so many guys who could do it, but it's not easy. And Ben Davis going into now what is he's a fifth year senior. Um, this is now you know he's finally been playing outside linebacker exclusively for a couple of years now. He might be in a position where he can make an impact for Alabama, and and things the lights have kind of started to come on. And the thing about it too is not only the coaching staff talking about him. It's that we saw a little bit last year. I think he had like one and a half or two sacks, or maybe it was just one sack, but he made a couple of pretty impactful plays at different times. And that's, you know, that, that that's positive growth compared to anything that we've seen. And it might've been due to a lack of depth um, and things like that. But I do think that Ben Davis uh, this is his, and he knows this, this is by far his, his final shot. Now, granted, he could come back next year and have another year of eligibility, but at that point, if you haven't made an impact your first five years, your chances of making your impact in your sixth year, um, it, it's almost like not even, I don't even know if the coach staff would want him back at that point if right. he didn't make any sort of impact this year. It wouldn't be worth it. But, um, but yeah, I, I do think that he understands that this was his last hurrah, and he's responded well and I give him props for doing that because it's difficult. A lot of guys mentally, you know, you, you become Mr. Everything or you're expected to be one of those guys. I remember watching his high school tape and what I didn't take into account back then. And yes, that was five years ago or four years ago, four plus. Um, I've, I feel like I've come a long way too. Ben Davis isn't the only one developing. Um, but I didn't take in, as, into account enough the, the high school level of competition there at Gordo. Um, and so I kind of expected him just the way that he looked on tape and that side speed and the, the legacy factor. I thought he was going to be a guy that gets to Alabama. is going to be a part of the rotation and, and would be one of the first impact players, you know, as far as that class that Did Alabama he had. Say he was going to break the school record for tackles. Didn't he say that? Or who said that? That might've been him. Um, I remember somebody saying it and now that uh, you we'll bring that up, put Google on this. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Trey Sanders was supposed to win the Heisman last year. Um, and and you love the confidence. I mean, I wouldn't have expected, uh, I think for Ben Davis now in hindsight, you look back and you say, man, you were doing those kind of predictions and it's now been four years in the program and you haven't really made too much of an impact. You know, if Trey Sanders is two or three years down the road from now and he made that bold statement and he hasn't done anything since then we'll probably be having the same thoughts on him but back when it happened and even when it didn't happen um you know you kind of give him respect for having confidence in himself and i'm sure that confidence has been you know hit a little bit based off of him going years without ever really cracking the rotation or being a huge part of it last year he was finally able to get some snaps and that might help start getting that confidence back and he's saying you know what i think i can do this and now he's making an impact. It's great for him, though. This was the perfect opportunity because Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings were both gone. A guy who was being groomed to step up into one of those spots, to Yabi and Noma, he leaves. Um, and Alabama, they're bringing in tons of talent at the position, but there's just zero experience. And a guy who's been in your program for four years is the perfect guy to at the very least lead the position groups and be an example of how things are supposed to be done as far as, you know, maybe not you know, from an impact perspective, but just knowing what to do and where to be. And maybe that's given him enough confidence to start making, to make an impact on the field. Did you find anything about it being Ben Davis that said that? He, he said he was going to go for it. He didn't say he was going to break it. So he, he didn't 
call his shot. Like, uh, didn't Leonard Fournette <laughs> say he's going to win the Heisman as a freshman? Well, I know, uh, I know for a fact Trey Sanders did. True. Um, yeah. But no, he, he didn't. He didn't call his shot. So I'll I'll walk that back on on Ben Davis's behalf. Um, but uh, still a a lofty expectation or hope for Ben Davis's career that hasn't come to pass yet. And it, it very well could um, this year, or at least uh, in, in a one year sample size. I don't, I don't think anybody uh, when Alabama signed Ben Davis thought he would be a one year starter, uh, one year impact player. But if he could be an impact player for, for one year, that would certainly be, be something compared to four years of, of next to nothing. The, the last topic I wanted to, to bring up today was Nick Saban is low-key giving us the depth chart at some key positions. So in, in his press conference on Wednesday via Zoom on, on wide receivers, he, he said, obviously, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell are, are performing like your, your top two. And then he only mentioned three wide receivers – after that, John Mechie, Slade Bolden, and the freshman Javon Baker in that order. Now, he, he did kind of add the caveat that Javon Baker has been the freshman who has most benefited from continuity since he's missed the fewest practices of, of the freshman wide receiver. So that plays a role. Uh, but still, like Alabama has to find three wide receivers to fill out the third, fourth, and fifth wide receiver role. He named three wide receivers. And he kind of did the same thing at outside linebacker. He said early in preseason that one or two freshmen are going to contribute in some rotational role at outside linebacker. And then after the most recent uh, preseason scrimmage, he mentioned Drew Sanders and Will Anderson by name. Those were the only two freshmen outside linebackers he mentioned behind the experience and, and the leadership that Chris Allen and Ben Davis have provided you at outside linebacker. He's also gone out of his way to praise the impact that Malachi Moore and Brian Branch have given you as uh, freshman defensive backs. Now he hasn't quite given you the, the pecking order at money and star that he has at, at other positions. I just, I just find it interesting that at this point in preseason camp, Saban's kind of, giving up certain parts of, of the depth chart. Oh, he also said on the offensive line, he mentioned several candidates for center, but Landon Dickerson wasn't one of them. So you're clearly moving Landon Dickerson to a guard position um, to either basically to make up for Evan Neal moving up from left guard to right tackle, meaning someone, Chris Owens, Darian Dalcourt, Emilecki or Jr. is going to be your center. I, I don't know. I just find it, interesting that Saban's kind of giving up the depth chart in some key positions. Now, it, it also needs to be said that since we're recording this on Thursday, September 3rd, there are, what, three more preseason quote-unquote scrimmages to, to go? I mean, as we're recording this podcast right now, there are still one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten preseason practices to go, not including the practices of Missouri week. So there's still time for guys to to make up some room and, and make some changes in that so-called depth chart that, that Saban's kind of letting us read in between the lines to gather. But it's still noteworthy, I think, that there is 
an established pecking order at some of those positions coming out of Nick Saban's mouth at this point in preseason. That is also a really good point. Um, man, you've, you, yeah, you're, you're, all, you're all over this, to be honest. And if you really just take some of the things that he's saying and kind of jot it down and start piecing it together, you can start to maybe not – you're not getting you know straight-up depth charts, and which is what we're never going to do, but you can start getting an idea of, okay – you know, who are we going to actually see uh, any, you know, significant amount? And if you were one of those people that wanted to write a, you know, five impact freshman, you know, players for Alabama in 2020, if you're one of those writers that want to do one of those pieces, it's been pretty much laid out for you. There are several candidates and he's mentioned them by name multiple times. You can go in and, and he's made your job really easy. And that's something that we have it. We've kind of seen a little bit as far as knowing certain guys are probably going to be involved, but just the way it, it seems like every day he's focusing in on, uh, you know, some of the freshmen and he's taking time to single them out. And, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember that being the case uh, in, in years past, at least not to this degree. That was something I was going to ask you because I, I got here on Tuesday of Duke week last year. So really, this is my first preseason here on, on this beat. So, I mean, I, I went to school here and I've, I'm familiar with the workings of, of Nick Saban, but not necessarily his more recent working. So I didn't know if this was out of the norm or not. It, yeah, from from everything that I can remember, um, you had maybe one guy that you had heard some buzz about uh, last year uh, during you know fall camp. One guy that you had heard some buzz about was was Trey Sanders, and you knew that he had some depth there in front of him and Najee Harris and Brian Robinson Jr. But you, you know you started to figure out based off of things that Nick Saban was saying, okay, this guy's going to be involved. Um, and, and there were other guys that you know he maybe mentioned. But I just don't feel like he has ever singled freshmen out like this. And what it tells me was that Alabama had a really good class last year. And even though they have a lot of experience and depth returning, which is one of the big reasons why they're considered one of the favorites to win the national championship, there are going to be some some guys to fill in the holes that are first year players. And there's going to be several of them. And it might not be that you need, you know, three or four freshman starters. I mean, last year I think they had like what, six or seven starting on defense at one time. Um and so, you know, you're not at that point, but if you need a guy who's going to give you rotational snaps at star or safety or receiver um, to fill out some of your depth and give your guys some time off or whatever, you're you're going to have that. And it seems like that he's taking the time to, to, to praise those players because he actually it, it believes in the depth they have of this team. And what's interesting is that we've heard him praise freshmen probably more than we ever have, and that comes without having spring without having a regular summer. These are guys that are just now starting to get into a normal routine of what it's like to play football at the University of Alabama, and they're still coming in and making an impact fairly quickly, and that's great for Alabama moving forward. Um, that's kind of the makeup, in my opinion, as far as guys who just seem to get it early and then you start adding experience because by the time they're, they're second and third and fourth-year players – They've got the experience necessary to where they see stuff coming. They communicate fantastically. Um, it's just, you know, a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick who made an immediate impact. He was known as that guy that, you know, was was essentially a coach on the field. It sounds like Alabama might have multiple of those. So that's, that's great for them. Um, and the offensive line, 
I think you bring up a, a really good point there because Nick Saban has actually talked a lot about Evan Neal, or he, he did recently, about Evan Neal moving the tackle and how well he's done in that transition. And I'm glad – I'd known that there were some people that mentioned it's possible that he was going to remain at guard. And to me, with him and his body type and the, the length and the tree trunks that he has for arms, I just felt like putting him kind of in a phone booth uh, was just, you know, completely taking away one of his biggest strengths. I mean, he didn't have, even though he's super athletic, he doesn't have, you know, um, he, he didn't, I got like Orlando Brown jr. For Oklahoma a few years ago, he wasn't a great athlete, but he was so long that it was extremely hard to, to get around him. And he was considered one of the best tackles in college football. And it's like, you got to use that length when you got it. And you got a guy that, you know, has that rare length, like, like Evan Neal. So, I have one guy that I can go ahead and admit now that I I didn't write him off. I would mention him when I was talking about the offensive line as a you know possibility, but I was you know I was giving combinations of which offensive line combination would you like to see more or something on Twitter, and I wouldn't even really talk about Chris Owens very much, and he was the guy that probably should have been considered one of the favorites. You know, I thought with the praise that and Darian Dalcourt was another one. Speaking of freshmen that got a lot of praise even back in uh, fall camp last year. Uh, we were hearing good things. Cecil talked about him a lot. Um, but I thought, you know, Dalcourt, I thought Emil Ikior, one of those guys would step up at center. And you're sitting there thinking, you got a senior, a redshirt senior who's had starts at the position. Uh, you know, you saw the offensive line improve when Deontay Brown got on the field. But that wasn't necessarily because Chris Owens was taken off the field. That's just because Deontay Brown was on it. Um, so, I, you know, I'll go ahead and be one of the – Say what? I did the same thing. I, I, I think I, I fixated myself on Chris Owens's removal from the starting lineup. Kind of like, yeah, it sounds like you did. I kind of fixated myself on Chris Owens being removed from the starting lineup more than I did on Deontay Brown being inserted into it. And if I were to play revisionist history and kind of uh, redo my my line of thinking going into the the preseason, I would probably define it as Chris Owens is still the sixth best offensive lineman on, on Alabama's team. He just so happens to be, there just happens to be a gap between five and six, like a more noticeable gap than often is the case. And absolutely, you're 100 percent right. And the fact that they were because and in hindsight, you look at it, you say, well, they knew that they had a guy who was capable of being, uh, a, a an impactful player on the field for him. That's why they were working him at tight end, uh, some along with Kendall Randolph. And that's probably the way we should have been looking at it when really I, I, back then I was thinking, you know, they're already kind of toying with other things for him as far as, you know, trying to get him on the field because of his, uh, the experience that he brings. And, you know, I don't think Nick Saban likes to, to bench senior level guys or super experienced guys if he doesn't have to and was just trying to find ways to get him involved and that was a need was a blocking tight end so um but for me just having him move off of the center position to me kind of was like okay I just don't ever think he's probably going to go back to being a center like full time and I don't know in hindsight I don't really know why I reached that conclusion in my own head but I did and that's one of the reasons I wrote him off but I've heard good things about him what I'll say is that when you talk about – I've heard good things about Tommy Brown, uh, Pierce Quick. I've heard different things about him, Emil Ikior, Darian Dalcourt, Chris Owens. The Alabama's offensive line, they return four starters. They have tons of experience along their offensive line. And now 
I think that they have maybe more depth than they've ever had at that position, and they're going to lose a lot of it following this year. Brown's going to be gone. Dickerson, um, Alex Leatherwood's going to be gone. Chris Owens is going to be gone, and they're you know Nick Saban wants to make sure that that depth stays you know replenished, which is why they're putting such a big focus on the offensive line in the 2021 class. But this is an ex- a very exciting group, and from Najee Harris's perspective, because not only do you have this super experienced super deep group on your offensive line you also saw the coaching staff go out and get what i would consider to be a borderline elite blocking tight end and carl tucker you throw him into the mix with that you know offensive line that could already move people in the run game big body guys and you sit there and say man Najee harris or whoever's in that backfield is going to be in prime position to succeed and you know at this point whether it's mac jones or it's bryce young whoever's starting at quarterback, uh, you, I don't think you're going to have to ask them to, to, to be quote unquote, the guy um, you can play off of other strengths of your offense. And uh, even a guy like Mac Jones can play at a pretty elite level. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, I think he's AJ McCarron, but I think you can get an, an AJ McCarron type of performance where he's extremely efficient when you can kind of go back to just dominating at other spots. And, and he's still got weapons like um, AJ McCarron did back when he played and and Devonte Smith and, and Jalen Waddle, he's still going to have options in the passing game. But there's just there's a lot to like about this Alabama offense, and, and the defense is coming along too. I'm with it. You ready to go? Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it, man. Um, another little camp update. We didn't get into a whole lot of specifics necessarily. You know, things that people have been hearing or talking about or or, or whatever uh, but i liked what we got into because well, we got questions hit us up yeah for sure and, and i'll say this um what you brought up at the beginning as far as substitution and stuff that's going to be something i go and really dive into um because i'm now curious to see and i'll look into last year a little bit and how they were able to substitute and try to get an idea we'll probably have more on the next podcast i want to circle back to that at least for a short period of time but very interesting observation and something that I think a lot of people should be paying attention to. Uh, so I appreciate that. I appreciate you. And I guess we'll be back on here next Tuesday. Yep. Let's do it. All right, brother. So this has been another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles.